Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. And Lee Mottishead, the senior writer of the Racing Post, is here to luxuriate in all of that. I mean, we have got so much to enjoy today. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Yesterday was a nice, wonderful day of horse racing. More to come today. Like you, very disappointed not to be at Leopardstown this year because, of course, last year was the most wonderful Dublin Racing Festival. And we're also one year on from a fabulous edition of Luck on Sunday, when I was watching from the race course <laughs> as yourself, Ted Walsh and Jack Cantlon engaged in a very heated discussion about the value of syndicates to horse racing. This won't be as good as that, but we'll try and make it good. What I love about all members of the Walsh family is that they can make something out of nothing. They can make something <laughs> exciting out of a seemingly innocuous yeah. situation. We saw it last year with Ted and Jack Cantlon, who was extolling the virtues of syndicates and... Ted said more colourfully than this, well, I couldn't have a syndicate on my mind. I wouldn't have yeah. one in the yard. And then, uh, and then yesterday on, on RTE Racing, Ruby Walsh managed to get stuck into an argument with Davy Russell about the benefit of Irish point-to-point racing as a, as a schooling ground for, for young horses. It's amazing. Never, ever boring. Never boring. Never boring. Always fascinating, <laughs> as was the action um, yesterday. What, for you, was the, was the highlight? Um, I'm an old romantic, Nick, and therefore I would say being at Sandown to see Native River win the Cotswold Chase, um, that did me a lot of good. I think it did a lot of people watching it an awful lot of good as well. In terms of Leopardstown, the most wonderful day, some spectacular performances, but I think you'd have to say that the way Honeysuckle won the Irish Champion Hurdle looking like a different sort of honeysuckle to the one that we'd known before, even though that previous incarnation had been very, very good indeed. I think that was marvellous to see. It was. And I think people were thinking they knew where they were with her. Yeah. That there was a, a sort of limit to how imperious she could be. But she took it to a whole new level, didn't she? She did. I think if you rewind back 12 months, she wins the Irish champion hurdle and there is a genuine debate about whether she'll go for the champion hurdle or for the mayor's hurdle. On this occasion, even though connections going into the race had indicated that they were leaning towards the big one, the manner of her victory yesterday immediately ruled out any prospect, I think, that she could possibly go for the mayor's hurdle. She has to go for the champion hurdle. And the way she wins this race, she has to go uh, to the champion hurdle as a, a huge threat to Epitant and very possibly the one to beat. I think you have to tip your hat to the bullishness of her, of her connections as well, or the confidence, I should say, of her connections, because Peter Maloney, the owner's racing manager, had said beforehand, if she comes and wins, we will go to yeah. the champion hurdle. And he, he set it out there and confirmed that straight after the race. So there's no nonsense, no guessing. No, and to be honest, the, the champion hurdle has to have her in it 
I mean, she is so good now. On, on our figures, on Racing Post rating, she's basically run to the level that Epitant reached when she won the champion hurdle last season. So they are now, if you like, level pegging going into that race. The difference being that Epitant will go to Cheltenham off the back of a, of a disappointing performance by her own standards at Kempton, whereas Honeysuckle goes in there off the back of a massive PB and off the back of a performance, as I said at the start of the show, she was almost like a different sort of athlete on this occasion. She was a quicker athlete. The speed that she showed on what was I think only a third run over two miles was desperately impressive. It did occur to me that if, if this mayor wins the champion hurdle this year, which is highly possible, yeah. will have had Annie Power what, four or five years ago, Epatant last year, and Honeysuckle winning as three mayors in, in a decade or three yeah. mayors in five or six years. And yet, when all the mayors programme was introduced, people said, oh, well, it'll stop all the mayors competing in the, yeah. in the very best races. And you'd had to go back before Annie Power, I think, to Flaky Dovin before that to Dawn Run for mayors to win the champion hurdle. And then you got three in quick succession. So Absolutely right. And I think we have to bear this in mind when we're talking about the new mayors chase, which in its early incarnations almost certainly won't be the greatest race that's ever been staged at the Cheltenham Festival. But if you look at the corresponding programme now over hurdles, as you say, We've had Annie Power, Epitant, now Honeysuckle. But on the back of that, off the back of that as well, we've also had extremely strong runnings of the mayor's hurdles and the mayor's hurdles through the winter. The system is working. And I'm really pleased that we can check in with Rachel Blackmore now. Rachel, good morning. Morning. Very well. And, and yesterday was, was really special. The whole day had a, a wonderful feel for us sitting and watching at home. Before we talk about you and, and talk about Honeysuckle... Just tell us a little bit about what it was like to, to be there and to ride there, because clearly a day of that high octane with, with no crowd must have, must have been, even by the standards we've become used to, unusually odd. Yeah, definitely, um, especially, you know, the, the receptions that, that were there last year, the horses coming back in was phenomenal, and, you know, there's such a big... Uh, such a big racing, um, racing crowd over here. And look, it's a pity that no one could be there, but uh, it definitely doesn't take from the competitiveness of any of the races. I mean, the racing was just of such high quality. It was one of the, the very best days racing I can remember in, in Ireland. Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, you, you, you barely blinked, and, and Paul Thomas had three grade ones there, all extremely impressive, you know. Um, yeah, it was an incredible day's racing. Now, Honeysuckle really delivered yesterday. She was odds-on favourite. A lot of people were expecting her to win to maintain her unbeaten record. Could you have gone into the race expecting a performance of, of quite such sort of pinpoint accuracy and real brilliance? Yeah, she yeah, gave she me gave an, unbelievable, unbelievable, uh, an unbelievable feel yesterday. Uh, she, was, she was a lot sharper, I think, than she's ever been before. Um, she jumped extremely slickly. Yeah, she yeah, seems to just uh, come out of her shell a bit nearly yesterday. Like, she's never done anything wrong up to this point. Um, so I was, you know, I was, I was very confident excuse me, going into the race. But, yeah, I think she really, she really showed what, she, what she's made of yesterday. I think that's a, a really interesting observation. You said that she, she came out of her, her shell. She did seem to kick up another, another gear or two. Had you felt in some of her previous races that there was just that little bit more there to give when it, when it would eventually come? Yeah, look, so she's, she's always, always, she's always delivered. Always and, and, you know, you know she's, she's never, never, you know, you know as, as a jockey, jockey he asked her to move forward. forward. She's, she's never, never not done, done that. that. Um, but just but yesterday, yesterday, I suppose... 
you know, you between, know between fourth and the third last, she, she kind, kind of, of took, took, took the bit in her own mouth and, and, and went for it herself, you know. Um, so, like, that's, a, that's a fantastic feeling when, when you can just, um, when you can just sit against them and, you know, not, not disappoint them and, and let them go forward. Can you put your finger on, on why you think she might have really kind of exploded to, a, to another level yesterday? Um, um, she, yeah, I yeah. don't know. Um, she, she, she's been very well trained anyway for a start. Um, but, um, yeah, look, she was just very good yesterday. And, it's, um, yeah, I, I can't, I, I don't, I know, I, I can't, I can't pinpoint the dramatic improvement, I suppose, in her, in her visually winning, but, you know, she's won every race we've asked her to up to this point. So, you know, we can't fault her any other day. I suppose the key for us is to say, did it feel as good as it looked? I think that's the key, isn't it? Relatively speaking, did it feel that much better to you? Yeah, she 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 felt incredible. She really did. Um, yeah, no, she she did. So to the champion hurdle now, how encouraged are you by the fact that her jumping seems to just be that little quicker and slicker? Yeah, yeah, you'd have to be, um, you know, the ground was obviously a little bit slower yesterday than it was this time last year, so that, that was definitely a help as well. Um, so, yeah, you'd have to be, yeah, you'd have to be very pleased with her in that department too. And I suppose the other key is that yeah, a lot of the horses in behind you are talented horses, but some of them turn up one day, others turn up the other day, others turn up every three days. She turns up every time. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, she's never let us down any day. And to be, you know, that's every jockey. That, that They're the kind of horses every jockey wants to be involved with. Um, you know, so you do feel very special to have to have come across something like, like that in, in your career. And, Rachel, it, it's not over, this Dublin Racing Festival, by any stretch of the imagination. You're riding Manila Indo this afternoon. How's he been? Have you, have you ridden him much since, since Christmas? Yeah, look, uh, Christmas is obviously disappointing for everyone, but um, you know we're we're on to the next day now. Um, yeah, he's been really really well at home. Emmett Ratter rides him out um, a lot of the time. He he said he's he's uh, he's extremely well. I gave him a school there last week. Um, you know he jumped he jumped superb. There was doesn't seem to be any ill effects from Christmas. So yeah, look, I think we'll just put put that behind us now, and and hopefully we'll um, you know we'll kick on again today. And, and is there a key to him? Uh, you know, obviously he's been a horse at the, he's competed at the highest level and he's generally been consistent and delivered. Is there a sort of key set of circumstances, do you think, that would enable him to produce an absolute barnstorming performance? Um, yes, I suppose he was a horse that took a while to kind of to get going. Like he was a maiden when he went into the Albert Bartlett. Um, so he... He definitely takes takes a lot of running. Um, you know, he takes his races to get fit and whatnot. So that was the kind of plan with him this year. And you know, Henry Henry panned out more runs for him before Christmas. Um, so you know, with those under his belt, you'd be you'd be more confident as well. Um, yeah, look, he's a very straightforward horse to ride. Um, so you know, he's adaptable. Like you can you can follow the pace if you have to make it. You can do that. So. Yeah, he's a he's a dream ride for a jockey too. You know, he's he's straightforward. And just going back to to Honeysuckle, uh, Peter Maloney and, and Kenny Alexander saying yesterday that, that the champion hurdle was now definitively on, on the agenda. 
you had great confidence in her just to, to, to really wind it up from a fair way out and grind the finish out of your rivals yesterday. If you, if you came to Cheltenham with her in the champion hurdle, would you have similar confidence to really set her alight that far from home again? Um, I don't know. I, I haven't got my head around the, <laughs> the champion hurdle in Cheltenham yet. Um, it was getting over today or getting over yesterday was was the the main thing on my mind. So um, yeah, like we'll we'll have to we'll have to look at at Cheltenham again. But um, she, you know, I, I think she's also quite adaptable in her races. Um, and like she showed yesterday that. If it's something that you want to do and let her roll forward, that she's happy to do that. So yeah, it's it's great when you have one that you're not, you know, you're not tied down to any specific um, any specific plans. Uh, Rachel, it is sort of taking each day at a time, just concentrating on the immediate task at hand, a, a sort of key to your success in in some respects. Not trying to not trying to look too far down the track. Oh God, yeah, I don't know. I suppose, you know, everything can change so quickly in racing. Um, you know, uh, everyone knows that. Uh, so, yeah, it's never it's never something I've done, I suppose, uh, make any big plans for the future. You know, just taking things as they come, I suppose, is, is what I've kind of done. And, uh, yeah, look, uh, different things work for different people, you know. And I, I'm fascinated to know what you, you made of, of one or two of the other winners yesterday, Enne Goumen and Chacun Poussoir and Gaia Dumenil and Kilcrew, they were all absolutely sublime, to be honest, and we're going to talk about them. Um, if you could have ridden any one of those, which one would you have liked to have sat on? Yeah, they, they were unbelievable. Um, I think that the Kilcrew in the, in the bumper like looked, uh, looked pretty phenomenal. You know, Paddy didn't have to, have to move an inch on him. Um, he made the he made the rest of the field, uh, you know, he galloped away from them flawlessly. So he looked very impressive. Um, and I think um, Energy Mean was, you know, he was he was really fantastic yesterday. Rachel, thanks so much for talking to me. Good luck this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks, Millie, Nick. Thank you. Rachel Blackmore, who was uh, victorious yesterday on, on Honeysuckle and Rise Manella in the, a little bit later on. Brilliant rider, brilliant story, could easily be champion jockey this year. Yeah, I mean, that is the, the, the big one, isn't it? Because there is every possibility that Rachel could be champion jockey. She has Paul Townend to beat, and Willie Mullins is rather good at sending out winners, and Paul's rather good at riding them yeah. as well. But she's there, she's a contender, um, and it would just be the most amazing story, I think, for, for racing, if we had Rachel as champion jockey, and potentially Holly Doyle, over here as a, as a real champion jockey contender on the flat as well this year. Yeah, I mean, both of those are Absolutely. very strong possibilities. Yeah, and They really are, yeah. I mean, the, the, there was once a time, and we, we have this debate so often, but I, I remember when, um, I think it was when Johnny Murta had left Bally Doyle, um, the, the, the Racing Post were, were doing some vignettes of potential candidates to take over um, the job. And, and back then there was a feeling that we, we had to put... Uh, a female jockey in there as a potential contender because it, it, it felt like it was the right thing to do, but you were manufacturing something there. You're not anymore, you know. To say that Holly Doyle could be champion jockey, to say that Rachel Blackmore could be champion jockey, that's manufacturing nothing. They're as good as anyone. Um, and they want to be spoken about as jockeys, not female jockeys, and I completely understand that. But for the sport... Mm and for sending out the message that this is a sport that is open to all and anyone can shine and be a champion, either one of those 
topping the table will be the most marvellous outcome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something to say that you know, when Honeysuckle won the Irish Champion Hurdle yesterday, nobody said, oh, look, there's a, no, a female rider winning not the, at all. the Irish Champion Hurdle. But if she is to win the championship in Ireland this year, she faces that formidable challenge from Paul Townend, who went through the first part of the card yesterday in the blink of an eye. Three absolutely brilliant horses. Chacun and Poursois, first of all. Now, if you weren't a believer before yesterday, you're a believer now. However... His task was made somewhat more straightforward by the fact that his stable companion, Min Green Cap, made some uncharacteristic blemishes, and this was more than a blemish. He banked that fence, and Patrick Mullins sensibly pulled him up fairly quickly afterwards. Yeah, that was a desperate mistake, and you, you'd be looking to hear good news from, from Chris Sutton this morning about how he is. That obviously changed the nature of the race, but Chacun and Pessoir was still the one massively to beat going into it. He's a funny horse in some ways, Nick, because... Again, there was just a point in the race when I wondered how well he was going. And it was interesting to read Willie Mullins saying the same thing after the race. He was just questioning. But now, when this gap appears between Notebook and Fakir Dudery, um, Paul Townend just senses how much horse he has underneath him. And he goes through them Uh, like a knife through butter. Well, the, the, the point that... I realised he was going really well was when he went to the inside of Fakir Duda. He half took a pull and went to the inside. Yeah. And then this happened. And there have been times with this horse when you just wondered on the run from the final fence to the line how much actually was in, in the tank and whether up the Cheltenham Hill he might be a, a potentially a weak finisher. You couldn't suggest that after that performance. That, for me, was his most impressive display in, in Grade 1 company. And I think an indication of how good he is is the reaction of Paul Townend, both here on this occasion and over Christmas. The way he looks on the horse after a race, the way he talks about the horse after a race, for me suggests that in Townend's mind, this horse is on a different level to the others that he rides. And if that is the case, that really is saying something. What's rare is beautiful. It's a good line, isn't it? I mean, how do you... How do you come out with a line like that just after you've ridden a, a Grade 1 winner? Well, you know, Nick, racing players, we've already employed one Willie Mullins jockey this week as a writer. Perhaps we should be going for the double. If only you and I could <laughs> ride horses the way that these jockeys can speak and write. Quite a big if, that. That's a, it's a massive a big if. if. What a horse, Jacques Amporsois. He's odds on now for the, the yeah. champion chase at Cheltenham. And it, he is going to do, not divide opinion, but it's a question of... Just now, can he translate to a stage where he's never been able to perform before? Yeah, absolutely. It will have the opportunity to perform. Definitely, before. yeah. Of course, la- I've read people this morning saying that the, the big question is, will he get to the right? So obviously, he has got a history of spending an awful long time on the sidelines. He almost got to the race last year, but then didn't quite. Again, a bit like the race needs, the champion hurdle needs Honeysuckle, the champion chase needs Chaka and Paul Soir. What the race also needs, I think, ideally, is Altior yeah. to go to Newbury next week and produce a Bolter. dazzling performance. Yeah, because it would be great to go into that race with that potential head-to-head of the great champion of old with the new rising star. So let's keep fingers crossed that Altior performs next week uh, and sets up a, a mouth-watering race. And the Arkle had the potential to be one of the most boring races at the yep. Cheltenham Festival if nothing had turned up to oppose Shishkin. Not now because this happened yesterday. Now, plenty of you knew how good this horse potentially was. His speed figures have been exceptional in his chases to this point. This is Energumen, but the way he just eases clear of his rivals, again, in a very good time, is 
very striking. Yeah, I mean, in, I think in terms of a, of a race course performance over jumps, um, in terms of the horses he's beaten and the quality of opposition, I'd suggest he probably trumps what, what Shiskin has had to do so far. Um, and I think there's certainly no, no view now that the, the Arkle is a penalty kick for Shishkin. Again, this horse has gone out and done it from, from the front. Um, he's travelled beautifully well. He's jumped well. He's gone clear from the final fence with Paul Townend barely doing anything on him. And this sets up what, one of what looked like there being many great head-to-heads at this Cheltenham Festival. And Shishkin against this horse, and Erga Men in the Arkle, is, is going to be the most wonderfully exciting prospect. But especially as well because this horse will will be ridden a different way to Shishkin. You imagine, he'll go out in front, yeah. he'll bowl along, he'll boss the race. Nico de Bonville will be following him on Shishkin. And, and that, that, again, that sets up tactically uh, a really intriguing showdown. Contrasting styles, contrasting physiques, one for Mullins, one for Henderson, one for Ireland, one for England. It is a classic Cheltenham yeah. clash. Fingers crossed they both arrive there in, in, in one piece. Yeah, it really is. And because in some recent years... We've had Arkles that have produced some outstanding winners, many of them trained by Nicky Henderson. But we've often got into the Arkle with it looking like a one-horse race. Um, that isn't the case any longer. You'd imagine that, that, that this horse's price will contract further, I think, as we go towards the festival. And whereas now we have Shishkin a shade of odds on and an Ergamen backable at twos, nine or four, five to two, I don't think they'll be with the respective odds come the big day. Let's have a look at... Gaia Dumenil, because he was the horse that opened up proceedings in the opening novices hurdle. This was a grade one as well. I mean, it's the best novice hurdle run this season, there's no doubt about that. And this horse just powered clear of pretty smart rivals. Yeah, he did. And again, we're talking head to head because now Brave Man's game for Britain against this horse for Ireland in the Ballymore will be a tremendous prospect. Uh, once more, this race delivered a big field. Uh, of strong, op- of st- of strong, strong quality. Many of them getting trained by by Willie Mullins. He's a horse who came here off the back of a relatively low key, albeit impressive win. He's an upper level here. The fact Townend selected him over his uh, stable companion was an indication of how good he thinks he is. Um, and again, it, it looked like the perfect Ballymore trial. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Native Rivers' performance in the Cotswold Chase, the rerouted Cotswold Chase at Sandown Park yesterday, would have been the sparkling highlight on, on any other weekend. Let's enjoy this again, Lee, and we can enjoy it as they approach the pond with Bristol de May, Yarlarenki, and Santini all having a go, but Native River was just too good, too good and too tough. Yeah, and this, I think you can enjoy this on, on two levels. If we, if we first of all enjoy it on, say I said the top of the road, the, the old romantic level, the fact that this is a horse who pretty much embodies almost everything that you, you want to love in a staying chaser, in that he's got remarkable stamina, he tries his heart out, he's wonderfully enthusiastic, which you saw when um, he opened up a big league going away from railway fences, that lead diminished, and as soon as he felt competition, he went on again. Powers up the sand downhill, a race course that has seen so many um, great chasing performances over the year. These days, doesn't get many performances by Gold Cup class horses, because Sandown's programme doesn't really have a race like this in normal circumstances. I thought it was just a fantastic effort. Um, 
And I think as well, if you look at it as an actual Gold Cup mm. trial, I would argue that this is surely the best performance by a staying chaser we've seen this season. Bristol Demise rated 169. Yeah. Santini's rated 170. Listen, they might not have run to their very best, but I don't think they, I certainly don't think Bristol Demise run massively below his 169 rating. You could easily argue that Native River has run to a mark in the 170s here. It was a fantastic performance. And if we get good, good to soft ground, it's going to be hard for them in a Cheltenham Gold Cup. But if we get soft ground or even heavy ground, which the way the weather's been at Cheltenham this year and the way the track seems to ride these days, it's not impossible. He is a very big challenger for Gold Cup glory this season. I would concur. It's amazing to think that he won it three years ago. What a story it would be after the race I caught up with Joe Tizard. which is kind of unlike him. He was right on his game and you know, we just thought at home the last couple of weeks he was really starting to really come to himself. So um, it's just a good performance. You know, conditions that really suited him. I actually, Decky and I, when we spoke before, we just said, well, we don't need to get into a battle with, with Yala Enki too soon. If he's going to take us to the first circuit, it'll be ideal. And um, it was just lovely to watch. When it, Dickie and Native River, it's a match made in he heaven as well, aren't they? And you were very confident that this track would play to his strengths. In fact, he just hasn't had any opportunities to run at race courses like this, really, has he? No, that's it. I mean, people start to question whether he can go right-handed. And um, you know, if anything, this is this place is made for him. Isn't it? Seven fences down the back, and he winged all the railway fences, and then um, then a real st stiff finish. So he, um, it's made for him. You think back; it's three years since he, he won that Gold Cup. We haven't seen that much of him since. He hasn't run a bad race subsequent to that and he's won more than, he, than he's lost. Do you think to all the horses that have won a Gold Cup and never done anything afterwards, it's not like he had an easy race that day against Mike Vice either. No, that's it. You know, he, he, he bounced back. He, he was fourth in it the year after and then you know, he was two from two last year and, and got a bit jarred up at Newbury and, um, and missed his chance. And, you know, this has always been the, the, the planned route this year to go to the many clouds and then, then to, well, to Cheltenham, but luckily it was rearranged to, to come here and... Um, and have another crack at a Gold Cup. You know, people talked about nationals and that, but Grafenand didn't want to enter him in a, in a national, so he's not even entered. Entered. It's all about um, having another go at the Gold Cup. Well, you've had so many good horses, a lot of good staying chasers, faster ones, slower ones, <laughs> tough ones, quirky ones. What sets this horse apart? Do you think? There's not. Uh, well, there's not many tougher than this horse. That's for that's for certain. But you know, all those horses that get to the to the top end, they they need to be tougher. Whether you whether they look like it or not, they need to be. Um, this was funny. I was, when I was picking the saddle up, Aiden Aiden won a Denman on him, and he goes, "They think he's slow. He's not that slow. He's got a he's got a good cruising speed, um, but he can just maintain it for for that extra sort of half a mile that that perhaps when other horses can't. Um, he's actually gent at home. Um, mind a stable full of him, that's for sure. And at what point in the race today did you think, yeah, uh, he's he's exactly he's exactly where I want him to be, and I don't think they'll pass it. Oh, just like the way the way things have been for the last sort of six weeks, two months, um, I was never never that confident. I was kind of watching it with Rachel saying, "Oh, don't get in a battle too far out." Right? But um, Dickie knows the horse better than better than anybody, and um, we know he doesn't stop galloping. Well, it's quite funny because it was only 48 hours that we spoke after Rose of Arcadia won and you were saying, yeah, you were bullish enough about how he'd run today because you haven't been really among the winners and they've not been firing in. When you were driving here, was your confidence kind of ebbing away quietly? Yeah, well, you can't, like it does, it leaves its mark on you, you know, when, when the horses are, are not quite performing. So from being quite a positive person normally, you, you start doubting everything. Um, 
you know, it only takes a couple of winners to sort of get you back, get you back in thing. And, and at home, like I said, like I said on at Wingant, and you know, at home the horses have certainly been coming right. Um, and we just needed needed a bit of luck, and, and uh, this horse hopefully will send us all in the right direction for a strong end to the season. Uh, when when things aren't going great, are you and your dad quite good at sort of playing yin and yang and sort of pushing each other through it? Yeah, we know there's um. There's lots of talks at the top of the gallops, and there's there's certain mornings where we drive apart and park at opposite ends of the gallops, you know, because we've had a five-minute talk and we don't agree, and and that's it. But, um, you know, we Kim and I used to gang up on Dad. Now now I haven't got anybody to sort of back my corner, so we just um, we just we just work out between us and and try and get everything right and just sort of stick to our our principles of training the horses and, and sort of back what's worked for us over the last 20 years. Um, Sometimes horses are just not, not, hundred percent healthy, and you know they come right then. And do you feel you can, you can take some of that indomitable spirit that that Kim had and, and sort of fight your corner? Oh yeah, I can fight my corner, but there's um, there's still the boss at the end of the day. He's still he's still he's still the main man at there. Lovely result, and the the Tizard's closeness, particularly after the tragedy of last year, is is so touching, uh, Lee. And there's so much goodwill towards them. Yeah, there is, and it would be wonderful if they could have some success at the Cheltenham Festival and who knows they've had a as Joe's explained there they've had a quiet time the last month 40 odd days um, but these things come and go don't they it might well be that it works in their favour come the Cheltenham Festival um, and they will have going into that meeting a tremendous flag bearer uh, a horse who you go back to that Cheltenham Gold Cup of 2018, one of the great jumping jewels I've ever seen with Native River and Mike Bike going head-to-head, toe-to-toe, for so long through that race. Poor Mike Bike eventually waved the white flag halfway up the hill and his career was finished there and then. Mm. He never recovered from that. And yet Native River continues to give and give and give with this incredible enthusiasm. Um, he is just a fantastic racehorse. He is, and another great part of the Native River story is Richard Johnson, to whom we're going to speak very shortly. He won the Grade 1 feature yesterday as well, the traditional feature on this card, the Silly Isles Novices Chase, aboard Sporting John, who has breathed fresh life into his career that looked so promising a year ago. His task was made more straightforward. Blue Cap, the joint favourite hitman, came down, and he brought down the mayor, Dame de Compagnie. So he jumped it OK. Hitman was quite clever, got in deep, just couldn't get the landing gear down, and Nico de Boinville couldn't get... Dame de Compagnie out the way in time, and she was brought down. He was left with nowhere to go, and that left Shan Blue, you thought, to make the best of his merry way home, but not even in the picture at the moment. Sporting John gradually clawed his way into it. Um, this, this was a, a really good renewal of the City Isles, even I for the fact that we lost two of the big names early on in the race. I think one of the horses I wouldn't have been fancying particularly strongly going into it was, was Sporting John. And through most of the race, I would have been feeling the same. But he's received uh, a super ride by, by Richard Johnson, who I think has allowed the horse time to build into the race. Early on, he was, he was pretty well detached. Not all his jumping, his early jumping was as fluent as you would like to see. But in a race run at a, a decent gallop and riding a horse who'd only had one experience previously of of racing over fences in a race in which he disappointed and now on a, on a much more demanding race course Richard gave him time to warm to his task and my word the horse 
um, responded with a, with a tremendous performance in the end. It was a very soft ground up the straight at Sandown Park yesterday, but this horse seemed to go through it very well. This time last year, he looked a very promising novice hurdler. And as I said, after just a couple of disappointments, he has got his career right back on track. Lee, he does look a stayer on this evidence. He does, yeah. I mean, the fact that he, he lost momentum by somewhat stuttering into the final fence, but then still regained that momentum, got going again and powered up the hill to beat Shamblu. He's a very good yardstick. does suggest that when he gets three miles, he'll be even better. And rider Richard Johnson joins me on the line now. Morning, Richard. Morning. How are you? Oh, very well. What a day yesterday at Sandown. I'd imagine you went there thinking that Dostal Phil might be your best chance. He was about the only one who didn't manage to, to read the script. Uh, tremendous to see Native River back. Yeah, no, look, it was a fantastic day. Um, like you say, yeah, um, well, obviously the whole day was great, but yeah, Native River, I think, to see him back, um, you know, back, to, well, say back to his best. But, you know, he's, been, he's only had yeah, I mean, two wins out of two last year, and, and obviously... You know, ran, ran a decent race at Aintree first time, but again, he showed he's probably as good as ever yesterday. So, um, you know, it's obviously lovely to ride those 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 to the horses that, that you know that, that you really look forward to riding and, and, and hope to hope to ride every every year. I mean, in all your years of experience, and you'd ridden a Gold Cup winner before this horse, admittedly a, a while ago. Did, has, it, has it amazed you that three years beyond that Gold Cup triumph, he can still turn up and produce you know 170 plus caliber performances? Yeah, I think his longevity is is uh, amazing to be honest, and then you know you know credit to the Tizards as well. You know they they haven't run him loads and loads, and he's had he's had a few you know niggling injuries along the way as well, and, and they they managed to sort of keep him you know always get bring him back and and, and bring him back in in the same form that that he was before. So that you know that in itself is is, is quite incredible, and you know yeah you know obviously to the horse himself, you know he's, he's obviously um, very very tough, and you know brilliant constitution and, and, and like you say very very talented Was it obvious to you from a fairly early stage yesterday that he was on his game? Um, yeah look, he, he, again he actually felt really well in entry this year and the one thing he, he loved doing is jumping and it was he obviously frustrated that day with the with the low sun but again you know he actually felt really well in entry and um, going to post yesterday he, he, he definitely felt up for it and, and again he's just one of those horses that you know I don't think I've ever had a bad ride off him and even when he Perhaps hasn't been um, at his best or conditions haven't suited him. He, he never runs a bad race. So I mean, um, like you say, uh, you know, he was he was fantastic again yesterday. And um, like you say, you, you know, they're, they're, they're the days you you know you dream of. Um, you know, even when I've been riding for so long, you know, you, you can't get can't help but enjoy those days. It's almost impossible to think that he could he could win another Gold Cup, but only impossible because of what we know about the sport. Not impossible on form. Do you think it it could happen? I, I, funny enough, I just spoke to Colin Tizard about um, half an hour ago, and we were saying that you know, you know, obviously Santini was a second, close second in the race last year, and you know, perhaps he didn't, he didn't perhaps run as, as well as they like yesterday, but um, Richard May is quite a, you know, solid, you know, solid yardstick as well, and, and I, I, I thought there was nothing wrong with his, his performance yesterday. I think it was very, very good and very tough, and, and you know, I think. Obviously, um, Album Photo is, is the obvious favourite for the race, but you know he was only just in front of Santini last year. So, you know, I don't I don't think there's a huge gap to, to, to sort of cross. So, yeah, I'd like to think that if he if he if he turns up um, in the same form as he was yesterday, you know, there's no reason why he won't um, give them again a good run for their money.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Now we've been celebrating today, and quite rightly too, the very best, not just of Irish racing, but of racing with the Dublin Rest of Racing Festival. A, a wonderful idea and a fabulous advertisement for just how strong the quality of sport is in Ireland at the moment. But you know, we know that from a regulatory standpoint, the country has been somewhat beleaguered in the last two to, to three weeks. And last Sunday at Nace, a really messy incident when the Edward O'Grady train uh, secretary un, unshipped jockey Philip Enright before the start, not realising that the starter started the race. And um, that led to a, a subsequent inquiry toward the back end of last week. And yesterday, uh, Gary O'Brien caught up with the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board boss, Dennis Egan. He began by talking about that case and then went through the difficult times that uh, the sport has been enduring. Let's hear from Gary now. Dennis, thanks for coming on, first of all. It's been a difficult start to 2021, to say the least, for the IHRB. There have been a number of well-publicised incidents, the latest of which came at NACE last Sunday when the failure to call a false start into a handicap hurdle was compounded by the stewards okaying the winner all right announcement, which is the Irish equivalent of weighed in effectively prior to their inquiry into the starting procedure taking place. During the week, you issued a public apology to those affected, and I gather you've refunded the costs of connections of the two horses who were unable to partake in the race, though unless they received a refund from their bookmaker, those who backed them won't have been so fortunate. I think everyone is well aware that human error can never be eliminated. We all make mistakes, but... Can people watching this be confident that if and when a landmine like this presents itself in future, that the situation can at least be handled in an acceptable fashion? Yeah, I suppose I, I have to agree with a lot of what you said there, Gary, but at the outset I'd just like to apologise to everybody, as we did during the week, um, with regard to what happened at NACE. It was a very unfortunate sequence of events, and as the report said um, that we published during the week, um, the systems just broke down. Um, the, the background to what occurred I think is well known at this stage uh, and just I suppose from a personal point of view uh, I happened to be at NACE until about 2 o'clock because I was over there for a different matter and in accordance with the Covid protocols I left and I went home and I actually got a call at about half 3 to go back that there was a problem so I went back over and I know I've been criticised for um, not commenting on the matter at NACE, but the difficulty I had was that the matter had been referred to me for investigation, and at that stage the investigations hadn't been carried out, and it would have been inappropriate for me to say anything which could have prejudiced the investigations. Would, I, sorry to interrupt, would it not have been better, though, to go on, and just even if that was all you said, to explain that the matter had been forwarded on, because it was some time before that information was fed through? Yeah, well, I spoke to the Racing TV reporters at NACE, and I gave them <coughs> a statement, it was a four, three, three or four lines statement which the matter had been referred to me and that the report would be published um, before the end of the week and we got the report out on Thursday so we kept our part of the bargain but um, I think you asked me how can people be sure that if a situation like that presents itself again that um, it will be dealt with appropriately and I think you will see from the recommendations, I think there's seven or eight recommendations in the report that um, there are fail safe procedures in there now to make sure that the winner all right certainly cannot be given um, without enhanced procedures in the steward's room and also we have instructed starters with immediate effect that, that if they have any concern over the start uh, that you should call a false start um, that makes sure that everybody gets a fair run for their money two days prior to that nace incident we had the latest in a series of contentious stewarding decisions relating to interference when brazos was allowed to keep a race at navin despite drifting right and clearly impeding the eventual nose runner up volcano 
This followed on from similar incidents at Galway, Kilbegan and Thurlis, and leading industry figures like Gordon Elliott, Noel Mead, Ruby Walsh have gone on record as saying they feel things cannot continue the way they are. In each of those instances, Dennis, the horse who caused the interference kept the race. The question is, is the lack of action in these cases not an incentive for jockeys to get to the line first at all costs? No, far from it. Um, I think just to put the, the, the decisions you mentioned in perspective, there's over 3,000 races a year in Ireland. Um, there's always going to be decisions where people don't agree with the referee, and uh, the referee's decision is obviously subjective. But there's definitely no incentive for a jockey to get, line, get to the line first at all costs. Um, penalties are handed out to riders and riders um, would suffer as a result of penalties. And the other point I should make is that if the stewards make a decision which is not if, if the trainer, the owner doesn't like it, the right of appeal is there. Now the fact that they don't appeal doesn't mean that they accept the decision but it is an opportunity for um, us to have a second look if they do appeal. And one of the things um, that we are looking at at the moment is the possibility of us being able to reopen cases where we feel just to get a, a committee maybe to have a second look at a race uh, if we feel the decision needs to be re-looked at. But I mean, ultimately there is provision there, as I said, for an owner or a trainer to appeal a decision. Would you acknowledge there is a problem with the rules as they stand and or how they are interpreted then? I don't think there's a problem with the rules. The rules are, are, are straightforward. Uh, ultimately, the stewards have to decide if the interference affected the result of the race. And if they did, if they do decide that, the, the result is changed. If they feel it didn't, uh, the result remains. And then they look and decide whether or not there was a riding offence. So like, j just from the sequence of events, the way inquiries are conducted, they first look at the uh, interference. Did it affect the result? After that, then, they consider whether or not there was a riding offence. The one exception to that, obviously, is dangerous riding, because if it's dangerous riding, uh, a horse gets disqualified. But I think it's, it's fairly evident early on whether it's dangerous riding or not. And several observers have suggested that a centralised panel of professional stewards would be, if you like, the answer to this ongoing issue. Is that something you could ever envisage happening or anytime soon, if so? No, it's not on the agenda at the moment. We've got um, an excellent bunch of stewards. We're very fortunate that we have some of the best um, experts in the country. We've got certainly great legal expertise available to us who act regularly as stewards. And I think that the panel, the, the stewarding system is fair. The one great advantage of it, uh, people may say it's a disadvantage, but we certainly see it as an advantage is that uh, you will never have the same panel of stewards um, dealing with matters there's always a variation so that means that um, nobody can say well you know I'm in front of the same three stewards again today to have an agenda so at least but, but sorry to interrupt now. consistency is what people is a word that keeps coming hmm. up over and over again surely if you have the same sort of stewards most times then you are going to get that consistency, yeah. are you not? Well, that's one way of looking at it, but we have a stipendary steward that sits in who advises the stewards on the interpretation of the rule and that is the link towards consistency. OK, on Tuesday, Charles Burns will have his appeal against his six-month suspension arising from the Viking Horde case heard. I know you won't want to say too much about that until the appeal has taken place, but many observers felt that despite the significant detail of the initial report, there were some important issues that either weren't referenced 
or perhaps needed further expansion. Will you be prepared to elaborate further on these once the matter has been dealt with? Yeah, we, we certainly will. The appeal is on Tuesday afternoon, I think it's at 4.15, and um, there have been a lot of questions raised since the initial decision was published. And uh, we unfortunately haven't been able to comment because obviously the appeal hasn't been heard. But there are, we will address all those issues subsequent to the appeal and we'll provide explanations uh, for what occurred. How important is it, do you think, for the credibility of the IHRB that the original sanctions handed out by the Referrals Committee stand up on Tuesday? Uh, again, I really don't want to comment because I don't want to be seen to influencing the decision one way or another. The uh, Referrals Committee spent a lot of time making a decision. It's a 14-page judgment, as you know. The appeals body will consider the matter and, and consider all aspects of it on Tuesday, and whatever decision is, ta is taken will be taken on merits. Under IHRB rules, Charles Burns himself is free to have runners before the appeal goes ahead, mm. and he actually has a couple of favourites or near mm. favourites in big races here this weekend. Are you concerned at all about the potential for further negative publicity for the sport, should either or both of those horses go on to win? Yeah, well, I, I, again, I don't want to talk about Charles Burns, but I'll talk in very general terms about appeals. Um, penalties are always stayed uh, pending an appeal, um, so the, whoever the appellant is is perfectly entitled to carry on um, during the, the gap, shall I say, between the original referral or the original decision and an appeal, and that's that, that's fair procedure and that's what's happening. Was there not a possibility to have the appeal heard knowing that there was a high profile weekend on the horizon and he was likely to have runners? And the appeal, the, it, it wasn't an issue really. The main thing is that with setting up any appeal is that we can get the relevant personnel in the room at the right time or by Zoom as it is nowadays and that everybody has an adequate chance to prepare for the appeal. That trumps everything because um, regardless of who the appellant is, livelihoods are at stake and we've got to make sure that they're given every opportunity to to uh, present their case in whatever way they, f they see fit rather than rushing it because of a particular racing date. But with Zoom, does that not make it easier to get the people together for an appeal? No, it does in one way, but they, obviously because of the high profile nature of this appeal, or indeed most appeals at the moment, generally there's written submissions and they take time to be pre to prepared and um, it can't be rushed. One thing we can discuss that came out of that case, I think, is the continuing lack of CC. TV footage on Irish race courses, which obviously would have been a potential game changer in terms of getting to the bottom of what took place that day at Tremor. Is there any justification in this day and age for the absence of full CCTV at every racetrack? Were, were funds not specifically allocated for this in a HRI budget three years ago? Yeah. Again, Gary, um, I'm not touching the question, but uh, that is one question we will address after the appeal. Uh, we, we just don't, we're, we're not addressing it at the moment, but we will provide answers to that question and indeed well, all other questions after that. How does, how does that prejudice appeal, talking about that now, in terms of why those facilities uh, are there? I, I, just, I, I really don't think, as I said, I, I'm very conscious... I need to be very careful because this is obviously a very high-profile matter and I have to, we've been very careful all along not to say anything or do anything um, in relation to the, matter, the well, appeal. We can expect answers to those sort of questions, though, once the, the appeal has taken place on Tuesday. You certainly can. OK. There's been a lot of comments of late regarding the issue of performance-enhancing drugs in Irish racing, Dennis, which I'm sure obviously you're well aware of. Ortiz Barry Lenehan recently revealed that a whistleblower had made a protected disclosure to the Department of Agriculture containing allegations related to the racing industry as well as other sectors. It's alleged by this whistleblower that the relevant authorities were not notified when banned substances were identified. Now the department has the option to investigate the matter itself 
or to appoint an independent investigator. Can you shed any further light on the status quo in relation to this? Not, I'm obviously, I heard the Clare Byrne show. The first we heard of any protected disclosures was on the Clare Byrne show don't know anything about it. Um, what I can say from our point of view is that uh, we have never come across banned substances and not dealt with them. Um, but that's as much as I can say I, I know very little about it. It's been reported as well, Dennis, that Jim Bulger has spoken to you as in the IHRB in more detail about his previously voiced concerns in relation to drug use. Can you confirm if that is the case? And if so, has anything been uncovered as a result? Yeah, it, it, uh, Mr. Bulger hasn't spoken to me. He's actually spoken to Dr. Lynn Hillier and continues to speak to her. And um, it's, it's an ongoing discussion. Based on those conversations, are you getting a sense that there is indeed a bigger problem than you initially thought? Um, we don't believe there is. Um, Mr. Bulger is not the only person that's talking to us, and anybody that gives us any information or has any semblance of concerns, we follow them up. And certainly we've come across nothing to date. Um, we've no evidence of it, and if anybody has anything, we will continue to follow them up. On a brighter note, we've seen some informative content published in the run-up to this fixture in relation to course configuration and measurements, including drone footage voiced over by Clark of the Course, Lorcan Wire. Can we take it that lessons have belatedly been learned following the controversy over race distances that came to a head after the Tremor fixture on New Year's Day? Yeah, I, I think Tremor has, was a once-off uh, aberration. It shouldn't have happened. And I think Lorcan and indeed all our clerks of the courses are doing fantastic work with regard to the um, information that they're, they're providing now. And um, just maybe to give you some indication of how things have changed, uh, if you look at the calendar for the Grade 1 races today in Leopardstown, uh, the Reverend at about two miles one furlong. If you look at the race distance today, the actual race distance is two miles one furlong and 57 yards. So the race distance was changed in the last few days. And sometimes uh, on a daily basis, we do have to change racing lines. Now, obviously, today is not one of those days. But if we have to change racing lines on a daily basis, uh, which is very infrequent but does happen, we will tweet out race ch dis distance changes. And you might have noticed for the Grade 1 hurdle at NACE, the Lawler's uh, race uh, in early January, that it uh, a dis the uh, a change distance was tweeted on the morning of the race. That's good to hear that lessons do look as though they've been learned on that score. And finally, Dennis, as we look ahead to the rest of 2021, how optimistic are you that the IHRB can win back the confidence of those in the industry and the wider racing public? Um, I'm very confident we can. I think one of the points that has been missed uh, in all this, in all the criticism of the IHRB, is the remarkable job that the staff, the members, uh, have done to keep racing on the road since last June. In particular, Dr Jennifer Pugh. I mean, we are one of the only sports, as you know, that has managed to keep going uninterrupted since June. And indeed, some other sports have adopted our protocols. And I think the organisation deserves tremendous credit for that. And uh, you know, what has happened in the last few weeks is unfortunate, down to human error. But the important thing is that we learn. Uh, we're learning the whole time. And if something can be improved, we will improve it because we're out there and we want to do things right. And we believe we've got a great team to do things right and I th I'm optimistic for the remainder of 2021 and I hope I'm sure everything will be fine. Dennis once again thanks for your time. Thank you very much Gary. Thank you. Luck on Sunday proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Well, it gives me great pleasure to welcome the Ryanair Supremo, one of the most important and influential figures in national hunt racing through the last two decades to the programme and say a very good luck on Sunday. Welcome to Michael O'Leary. Michael, good morning. Morning, Nick. Good morning to you and all the viewers. Uh, very nice to talk to you this morning. You, you were watching on yesterday the, the, the Dublin Racing Festival. 
I'm fascinated, first of all, just to, to hear your thoughts on, on this weekend and, and sort of its importance to, to Irish racing as a whole and sort of what you thought of the whole day, really. I think it was a marvellous event yesterday. You know, you couldn't but be in, impressed with the performances of Honeysuckle, Willie's Four Wins. You know, it was racing at the very highest order with all the best horses taking each other on. It's what's the very best of national hunt racing. And, and when you look at a, a day like that and, and you're competing still at, at the highest level, even though you've, you've stated your intention to sort of scale back the, the interest, is there a part of you that thinks, I'd, I don't want to move away from this. I still want to be in this and, and in it competing? Uh, honestly, no. You know, I was very pleased with the performance of our runners yesterday. Uh, notebook ran well, well beaten by Shaq and Persuan, no complaints. Abracadabras ran very well, having run under a cloud at Christmas. But no, you know, I'm very busy with the airline at the moment. I'm very busy. I have four children who are keeping me very busy. And frankly, my interests lie elsewhere, I think, for the next couple of years. I'm fascinated by national hunt racing. Myself and Eddie have had a wonderful run in it for the last 20 years. I think we've won everything we set out to win. And I think now it's time for new owners to come through and take up that mantle. Uh, challenging JP and all the other long existing owners uh, and it's good to refresh I think the ownership and the industry every decade. Michael I, I want to, to close by talking about Tiger Roll because he is entered in the Grand National again he Agreed. is already part of, of yeah. sporting folklore um, you've spoken a lot the last couple of years about what weight he ought to have in, in the National. Speaking now Sunday February the 7th with yes. Uh, what are we now? Nine days until the national weights come out. What do you want? What are you expecting? Oh, I'm going to make it simple this year. Uh, I think the handicapper has unfairly weighted Tiger Roll for the last two years in the UK. He's rated about 170. He last won the national off 159. He's run four times since and not finished in the frame. He was beaten by Easy Land in Cheltenham November last year. Uh, Easy Land. He beat him 17 lengths off level weights. Easy Land is now rated 167. And yet somehow Tiger Roll is still rated 170. I think if he rates him fairly somewhere in the 150s, he'll run in the Grand National. And if he rates him in the 160s or 170s, he won't run in the Grand National. We will take him out after the uh, entries, uh, after the weights declaration. And the plan has always been with Gordon and Eddie to go for the cross country in Cheltenham where I believe he will be kicked out of the way again by Easy Land. Uh, and then I think the options are we're looking at possibly retirement or um, we may look at entering with the Irish Grand National, which comes up at Easter, and where I think he would be more fairly weighted in the 150s, which is where his rating should be, not in 170. Michael, do you, do you know how disappointed the, the two racing nations would be if Tiger Roll was fit, healthy, hearty, rated somewhere in the low 160s, which would theoretically still give him a great chance of winning a third Grand National, yet you cut that threshold off at 160 and said he will not run. Do you, do you not feel a, a sort of certain responsibility? No, I think we feel a responsibility to the horse. You know, he owes us nothing. He owes nobody anything. He's a four-time winner in Cheltenham and a two-time Grand National winner. Uh, we will not allow him to run where he is unfairly weighted. I mean, I put it this way. If he's rated in the low 160s, he would have to give uh, or he might receive 
three or four pounds from a horse, young horse like the likes of Easyland, who's now rated one six seven, and Easyland beaten by seventeen lengths two years ago when Easyland was six and Tiger Roll was nine. He's now eleven. He's getting older. He may not even run again after Cheltenham. You know, his last couple of runs suggest that maybe he's not in love with the game anymore. And the priority at this point in time is minding Tiger Rowe. Uh, We're happy to let him run in the cross-country in Cheltenham, which is his primary target, not the Grand National. He'll run there off level weights with all those other horses. But we're not going to ask him to lump huge amount of weights around. Uh, He's a small horse. Just because the UK handicapper uh, wants to penalise him on the basis of his reputation rather than the basis of what he's actually achieved over the last two years. And, and just a word on, on, on Davy Russell, uh, with whom you've had a, an amazing relationship mm. really over the years, ups and downs, and the association with Tiger Roll, a sort of a, a glorious conclusion to it in, in many respects. He's been in the wars this season. How... How much more admiration yeah. do you have for him as a rider and as a man now than you did perhaps when he was riding you stacks and stacks of, of festival winners? We've always had huge admiration for Davey. He's a brilliantly talented jockey. He was a bit of a lunatic uh, trying to allowing his weight to go up and down or trying to get it down too low for a number of years. But I think marriage in recent years, children ha- has changed him. He's a remarkable jockey and he's also now a remarkable professional. But, you know, after the last injury he has, I wish he would look at the bigger picture. I wish he'd actually retire. I think he should. He's had a remarkable career. But he's also the father now of three or four children. And I would hate him to take any more risks, particularly where he's had a kind of warning uh, with the neck injury. Uh, And I, for the sake of Adele and his family, I wish he'd retire. I don't think he will. Um, And if he continues to ride, he will continue to be one of Ireland's leading jockeys. But there's more to life now than riding winners. And he's already, if he stops now, he's had a remarkable career and he would know and owe nothing to anybody else. And for you, Michael, and, and you've articulated this very clearly, there is more to life in racing. It doesn't mean, or more to life than racing, it doesn't mean that you don't still, still love the sport or still passionate about the sport might not be in the next decade, but the decade after that. Uh, is there still something that you'd like from it that you haven't had already? Or maybe something you'd like to give to it that you haven't given already? I think we would like to give back if we can. I mean, uh, you look at the fortune, the races we've run in the last 10, 20 years, two Gold Cups, three Grand Nationals, I think four or five Irish Grand Nationals, most of the main races in Cheltenham without the, the champion hurdle. Racing owes me nothing. If I had spent two or three times the amount of money I've spent on jump racing over the last 20 years with Eddie, it was still money well spent. But I think the challenge is I've been spoiled by that success over the last 10 or 20 years. And it would be very difficult to come back to it and go, you know, why aren't we winning all these races again without buying another two or 300 horses? So I think it's unlikely. I am somewhat addicted to it. Um, but like most addictions, you try and wean yourself off it and then stay away from it uh, for fear of relapse again in the future. There are other things in life. Uh, I've given a lot to racing in the last 20 years. And I think, you know, I would like to hope the next 10 years will be gives a little bit more to my family, a bit more to my work. And um, hopefully 
the, you know, we're growing the Studin plantation in Newmarket and in Jigginstown here. We've been somewhat successful in the last year or two with new mares and at the foal sale, foal yearling sales. And I would hope to continue to see that um, grow and expand. Uh, we have some very good management in plantation and I have some very good management here in Jigginstown as well. No sign of the pipe and slippers yet, Michael. Thank you very much indeed for your company this morning. Thanks, Nick. And I just wish a very happy new year to all your viewers. And here's hoping we'll see the end of the COVID crisis by the middle of uh, 2021. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Over 800 winners, five Lexus chases, four editions of today's big race, the Irish Gold Cup. Michael Hurrigan, I bet you can remember every single one of those as though it was yesterday. Good morning. Morning, Nick. You're right. I could every day. And, and beef or salmon, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like long ago to me, uh, but the years have just flown past since his, his brilliant exploits. Just, just remind those of us who, who perhaps haven't been following racing for, for that long, he really did become a cult hero, this horse, didn't he? He did because he, he, was, he was a wonderful jumper. He, he was very athletic and he had plenty of gears. He was totally different to Dorn's pride. Whereas Dorn's Pride was more a tougher horse. Beef or Salmon had a lot of class. And he could, um, he, like, when you talk about the Hennessy's, you could see him in Leverstown. He closed down the race in two strides, going to the second last always. You know, he, he, he'd fly the second last and he was back on the bridle and he'd be, he'd sail for home, like, you know. And this, this day here we're watching when he, he collared the listener up the run-in. Uh, there was just something about people, Summer that was always very watchable, wasn't there? He seemed to have an amazing charisma about him and he had a, he had a very unusual pedigree. Can you just take me back to the, the very early days with him and, and how, you, how you came across him? Well, I bought him in uh, Land Rover sale uh, 20 years ago now. It's actually, he's 24. And he was a four-year-old when I bought him. He was unbroken. We broke him. And uh, he got a very bad bout of ringworm coming up to Christmas as a, as a four-year-old. And um, I didn't think he'd, he'd run that year. He was very bad with it. But um, he'd always shown us quite a bit. And we ran him in his first point-to-point, -point, and that was in uh, Dungarvan. And he, f he fell after taking two strides after jumping the last, and he ha he would have won, I suppose, on the day, but he took two strides, but he fell over. And um, he ran about three weeks later, a month later, then in Clonmel. And Davy Russell rode him, and he was actually j passing the winning post when the second horse or the other horses were coming to the second last fence. That's how far he won. And it's kind of history after that with him because it took him a while to win his whole race. He fell in Limerick over hurdles as well after taking a stride after the last. And um, then he won a whole race in Gordon Park. He didn't shine that well over hurdles, but he was a brilliant jumper of fences. And I remember saying to um, Pat Keane, when he was a six-year-old, I said, you think I'm mad with what I'm going to do in the next few weeks? And I entered him in the Morris Isle as a novice. And I went to the Morris Isle chase in Clanmel. And sure, 
he bolted in. I think he beat, I can't remember what he beat, but there were quite a lot of good horses in the race. And then we went to King Mallow, and he won again. And then we took on the, um, the Nicholson Chase in, in Down Ryle, and War of Attrition, they were all in it, and he won again, and like, and he won then in Leperstown. Then he went back and he won the Hennessy. So like he, he, he had shown plenty and he was doing plenty, but it might have been a mistake to go to Cheltenham as a novice. I should have probably taken him there and given him a run before Cheltenham, before the Glory Cup, you know. I I remember it was always the but that the thing happen. every it was the thing every year, wasn't it? Would he would he able to translate his brilliant Irish form to Cheltenham? And it never. It never quite hap- happened for him, but your your belief in him was was completely unshakable each and each and every year. How did he? How did the horse change your life as a whole, Michael? I don't know. Did he change my life that much? You'd be so busy trying to make ends meet, Nick, and and it kind of all passed me by. Does it really passed me by because you'd be too busy working. And if you've got one of those horses now. Should be totally different for me, but it is nearly unlikely to happen now at this stage of my life. But, like I mean, I was fortunate enough to have those two very good horses, and you kind of between them they won fifty races, and I think Dawn's Bride passed the winning post in front thirty thirty four times altogether. That is, and be for Salmon won nineteen. You know, so between them they won over fifty races, two horses. And, and not small races. They competed at the top level. And Doran's pride himself was a, a brilliant hurdler as well as a, a top-class chaser. His, his win in the stairs hurdle was so so smooth and, and easy to watch and fluent. And you, you can't <clears throat> watch his, his performance in the stairs hurdle without, without thinking of, of Shane Broderick and, and particularly all, all that you've done for for his legacy subsequent to that. When when they were in full flow that day, they were quite a partnership. Quite a partnership is right. And, like, there's... there's um, it's still in my head when coming down the hill was the commentator's words, like, and look at Dawn's pride on the outside. Like, you know, I mean, he, he was just cruising. But, like, he, he, was a, he was a wonderful horse. Like, he competed for 10 years at top level every year, and I think he won eight or nine times first time out, every year. He won the Kerry National with Richard Dunwoody, carried 12 stone his first run of the season. And he carried 12 stone, and, and you know, he was just a super horse. He was, he was an iron horse, really, like, you know? And as, as I say, you know, it talked about Beef or Salmon as a bit of a, a folk hero. This horse was as well, and did you feel that, that massively added significance after, after Shane's terrible injury? Did you feel the added significance of what Doran's pride was doing after that? Yes, and it was a pity that Shane wasn't riding him because Shane brought him most of the way, like, you know, I mean, he had his, he had his great day in Cheltenham on him and he had great days in Ireland on him as well, you know. It was a pity that what happened for Shane, but, uh, like, I mean, the horse was really going forward and it would have made a big difference to Shane's career along with my own at the time, like, you know. It would have been wonderful if if it came the whole way with Shane. And, and like, two days after Shane got hurt, <clears throat> Richard Dunwoody won 
won the Power Coal Company in Chen and uh, Fairy House. You know, that was a very emotional day altogether. It was hard to speak after that, like, you know. But you're, he was just a, a wonderful horse, and they were a great partnership, Shane and himself. Two very, very special horses, uh, Michael. You say that you're unlikely to get another one like that. Do you, do you never say never? I mean, do, do you think that, that there, is a, there is a possibility, or, or have you almost put it to the back of your mind now? No, the, the dream is always there, Nick. If you don't dream, you won't get there. I mean, you have to dream about all these things happening again. But <clears throat> I would appreciate it much better if it happened now rather than when... No, I won't say rather when it did. I was delighted it happened when it did. And it was, it was great for my success down the years, you know. And it has been very good to me. And they were very, two very, very good horses. But you kind of took them for granted when you have them. You know, that I mean, Dorn's Pride turned up every year. And he won, his couple, he won his two or three races every year or maybe more. And he kept you competing at the top level. Then he was retiring and before Salmon came along. So he, he just continued. I mean, they kept me at the top of the tree for 14, 15 years on the bounce between the two of them. And Which was I... wonderful. Like, you know, I mean, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, Michael... If I if I took you right back to the to the early days when you were when you were riding and then you started training uh, outside the family pub and in 1973, if I took you back to those days and said to you, right, this is what you're going to achieve: over 800 winners, two real champions of their their eras. Would you would you have been pretty pleased? I wouldn't have think it was possible at the time. Could you think it would be possible? I mean, we started at the back of the pub. Myself and my wife, and we had two stables, and then we had 22 stables, and we had no gallop, and we had no place to go. But the local people were very good, because I was in and out of their fields every day, and it took a while to get going, but when we moved to Adair, to, I rented Clan Union Stud from a Michael Fitzgerald, and from there on, it kind of went forward, you know. I mean, I, I couldn't continue at the back of the pub on the side of a street in Rathkeel when, when, uh, when I had 20-odd horses and trusting that I could go to a men's neighbour's field every morning and different fields every day, you know. But, I mean, it's, it, was, it was never in my mind that, would, that I'd have two horses like those. But you, you dream of having a nice horse and dream of having a winner. <clears throat> When you fall upon the horse, it just goes. You, you you can train them when you find him. And Michael, do you still get the same? Do you still get the same enjoyment inside from doing what you're doing? Do you still get the same pleasure from from training racehorses <clears throat> as you ever did? I just love it. I just love what I'm doing. I'm doing what I'm doing since I was 14 years of age. I went to serve my apprenticeship under Cora when I was 14 years and seven months. <clears throat> to Charlie Well, Dermot's father. And I'm doing nothing else since. It's just, I, I just love what I do. And it's easy to do what you love. And was that a, was that a thread it's, that ran all the way through? It's very easy to... Sorry? Was that a thread that ran all the way through, from 14 to Charlie Well, from, from riding in the north to, 
to, to the <clears throat> start of the training operation. Have there, have there ever been any moments where you've thought, I don't want to do this, or has it always been something that's completely consumed you? <clears throat> when, I, when I started training, the only time when I started training, I think I had the licence for five or six years before I trained the winner. And I had my mind made up that I was going to pack it up. And then Ram Raja came along, a horse, the first winner I ever trained. <clears throat> he came along and he won three in the bounce for me. And it changed my whole career. It changed my whole life again. But there was nothing I was going to do after that, only train racehorses and do what I could and do the best I could with them. But it's a, it's a disease, really. Like, I mean, you, 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 just, you just love the horse and you love training them and you love doing it. And I, somebody interviewed me there some months, some while ago, and they asked me, was I working as hard as ever? And I said, I've never really worked in my life. I said, if it has to be done at 12 o'clock at night, you do it at 12 o'clock at night. If it's 6 o'clock in the morning, you have to do it. But it, it's just a way of life. And it's, very, it's, it's a great way to be. And so, Michael, how, how many do you have at the moment? And, and what, what can we, we look forward to? <clears throat> Uh, I have a small string at the moment. Things have changed big time in Ireland, anyhow. But uh, I have 10 or 15. That's about my limit at the minute. Uh, I have a few nice nice young horses to come along. And if you're just dreaming, you might find a beef for salmon or a Dorn's Pride or a High Cly or a Tropical Lake. You never know where they'll turn, turn up. And we were talking, as you probably heard, with, with Michael O'Leary for some time there, and I was talking about mm. the kind of super owner now that has, that has started to dominate, not just J.P. McManus, but from Jiggenstown, and now an, an explosion of, of really, really big spending owners. Um, do, you ever, do you ever consider the possibility that one of them might come across your doorstep one day and say, here you go, Michael, go out and spend 250, 300 well, grand on a couple of point-to-pointers for me? <clears throat> But what, what I seem to think about, what I think about is I probably had those two very good horses at the wrong time. Whereas if I had them in the past five or six years, it might have been different. But success follows success and uh, the bigger boys are getting bigger and the smaller fellows are getting smaller, I think, at the moment, you know. But we still have the dream and we still love what we're doing. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai.